Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Hello and welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. I'm Joni. I'm your host, and I'm very excited to welcome Vivian Kenshin today to join us and talk about regenerative agriculture and food as medicine. So welcome, Vivian. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thrilled to have you here because you're one of those people that I like, you know, learned about via LinkedIn and kind of became friends on LinkedIn and have loved watching your journey and the things that you work on and figured if we were going to get together and talk about your work, it would be best to record it so we could share it with um, other people who are interested to learn more about this subject as well. So I would love to hear you know, just not knowing a ton about about you and a ton about your background, um, it'd be really fun to dig in a little bit and just kind of learn more about where you're from, where you grew up. How did you end up doing what you're doing today? Because you have had, like many of us in regenerative, um, kind of a circuitous path. Um, many of us have come from the health side. Many of us have come from the ag side. I'm always really excited to hear what brought you here today. Sure. Um, So I grew up in LA. I'm actually a Los Angeles native, but I come from Armenian parents who grew up in Iran. And um, so food has always kind of, you know, always been percolating in the background in our, in our home. And it was always just an expression of love. Um, And I also happen to have two parents that are, you know, kind of health nutty, I guess you could say. Uh, So I always grew up around the idea that food is love and it's always um, also, you know, to care about what you put into your body. Um, I did come to this path very circuitously, maybe a little bit more than most. I used to work in photography, so photo syndication, and I enjoyed a, a really long and successful career. And, um, but I've always been interested in nutrition just based on my background. I've always been curious. I've always been the one who friends will come to and, you know, ask about remedies. Uh, what can I do to lower my cholesterol or I have acid reflux. And so I got a lot of nudges, both from friends and family in the universe to eventually, um, you know, answer that calling. Um, so later in life, I went on to earn my bachelor's degree, and I also got additionally certified for supplements and herbs, and went on to work and apprentice with a naturopathic doctor, uh, Dr. Gerber, here in LA, who specialized in cool. women's health, and um, and you know, kind of just learned about how to balance hormones and health uh, naturally, and mm-hmm. then. Um, I was doing a lot of dabbling, kind of trying to figure out where I fit. And um, so after my bachelor's, I went on 
I took a little break and I went on to earn my master's in public health. And very cool. Um, thank you. That's quite something to take on. Honestly, that's a big it, undertaking. It really is. It really is. Yeah. I, I, I thought several times that I was going to lose my mind. Yeah, um, that's a lot of work. And, you know, public yeah. health is an interesting space that most people don't give a ton of thought to um, as an RN and someone who worked in nursing for over a decade. Like I have a very kind of close rub with public health and what public health is and what that means to communities. Cause I feel like often it operates without people really fully appreciating the value it adds um, to the community and, it, and, it, and where it is involved. Like it's so many different layers of involvement and so many different touch points. It's not just health, like as in accessing doctors, et cetera. It's like water quality and, you know, like food safety and like all these different things kind of conglomerate, you know, conglomerate behind the, the concept of public health. So that's a really cool mm-hmm. lens to look at regenerative systems through. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, as I was making my way through uh, the two year, you know, degree, I was, you know, constantly thinking, how, how does this apply? How does this apply holistically? Because I, I also found it a very kind of siloed in, in the way that I was mm-hmm. learning uh, about the topic, but always in the back of my mind, I was like, how am I going to use this more holistically? And mm-hmm. um, it took quite a while to kind of arrive <laughs> arrive at uh, something that really clicked for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, I was, you know, I worked for a food as medicine program. Uh, I helped launch and grow. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, Angel Project, is that what it was called? Uh, Project Angel Food here in LA. Yeah, (laughs) tell us a a little bit about that. That one actually really caught my interest. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what that project did when you were there. Um, so, so basically it was a state funded program. And so the state was trying to cut healthcare costs because so many people had, um, this condition, congestive heart failure, and it's Mm -hmm. one of the most expensive conditions that there is. So, um, so they were just trying to see how it responds uh, nutritionally by providing medically tailored meals to people who had, um, state sponsored health insurance Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see if, if we can keep people out of the hospital, improve their quality of life, and at the same time, save some money. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's usually what um, initiates or precipitates this, this sort of uh, program coming to fruition. Right. So, um, so, yeah, it was just it was a program that provided medically tailored meals. They were delivered, home delivered and mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a 12 week program. And at the end of the program, the idea was that we were going to crunch some numbers, see how much, how improved certain markers of health were. And Mm -hmm. also, um, if there was any cost savings. So that piece of it is still kind of happening. Um, but there was a program that kind of also came out of it because it's, it was so successful just without us crunching any numbers that um, yeah. they applied this to a diabetes program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic because, you know, CHF, I'll just call it that for short, congestive heart yeah. failure, it, you know, readmission rates are extremely high in populations of patients that are managing <clears throat> CHF. And a lot of people don't realize too that if you discharge a patient and they're managing CHF and then they're readmitted to the hospital within a certain length of time, the hospital gets actually penalized 
like they lose part of the the payment reimbursement for the next time that patient comes. So there's a huge pressure at a policy level, at an insurance level, because of these um, guidelines and benchmarks that have been put into place. But the compliance is very, very low because of sodium. And it's so hard to avoid high levels of sodium in processed foods. The majority of people go home, even if they know that they shouldn't eat a lot of sodium, they have processed foods and that's what they have access to. And then boom, they're right back in the hospital. So um, the concept of medically tailored meals there is, is really, you know, you can see how it would actually make a significant impact on readmission rates and management of those. So diabetes as well. Um, there's more and more conversations about these types of things popping up all over the place. In fact, we had Aaron Martin on and they are doing some pilots in Tulsa um, that are also demonstrating these types of, you know, approaches where you're providing appropriate meals and then gauging response and access to medical care following diet changes. And it's like, I mean, to all of us, we're like, well, duh, like that makes sense. But it's interesting how you need that data <laughs> to show cost savings to start really moving practice. Definitely. Um, you know, it was a very fulfilling thing to do. It was really great mm -hmm. to see people just, you know, kind of heal from, from these yeah. uh, conditions, uh, at least somewhat partially. Um, yeah. But I'd always wanted to do something more upstream. You know, I did, I had mm -hmm. not gotten into the business of nutrition to, um, you know, to heal people that were severely sick. Of yeah. course, of course there is a place for that, but what really just irked me is that, you know, if our food system could change, there would be a huge trickle down effect and, you know, yeah. all this unnecessary suffering, all this unnecessary cost, yeah. it wouldn't even have to happen. Right. And in these types of chronic diseases significantly shorten people's lifespans as well as in impacting quality of life and GDP. And so it is, it is always frustrating, I think, to all of us that pay attention to nutrition. Why do we wait until people are managing a chronic disease? Why aren't we, you know, going downstream and looking at early lifestyle changes like, you know, childhood, early adulthood, that we could implement ways of living that would help prevent development of these chronic debilitating diseases later in life? And you know, I, I can see naturally where you came to that, but the regenerative piece is something that I don't come across as having a lot of awareness in nutrition circles and in healthcare circles. Um, I mean, even still, I feel like it's kind of slow to enter the vernacular as a concept and, and really making that connection to quality of food, having, having a very intricate link to quality of soil. And um, I'd love to hear about how, like where your aha moment was, like how you brought in that layer of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it, it, so I learned about regenerative agriculture as it is called today, right? It's an indigenous mm -hmm. practice. It's been around for a very long time, but yeah, uh, I learned about it through watching the film Kiss the Ground. Many friends were nudging me about it. I, they knew that I wanted to work in the climate space and use my nutrition skills, but I just didn't know how those two things connected. And so mm -hmm. I picked up a book by Joel Saladin, which mm -hmm. called This Ain't Normal. And he talks about just our dependence on fossil fuels and, you know, how things could be different. Um Mark Hyman's food fix about how we can actually, you know, 
change policy and it would have all these trickle down effects into, you know, the quality of the food that we eat, the quality of the water, air we breathe and uh, et cetera. And, um, and that's kind of how I came to uh, the idea or the concept of regenerative agriculture as it is called formally, but really, you know, mm-hmm. common sense, um, common sense is what <laughs> really, um, of course, it makes it makes sense that there's a circular process that we're all connected, that we're connected to nature, what you put into mm-hmm. your food. I give the example of, you know, if you're baking a cake, right? If if you use sawdust instead of, you know, using flour, you're going to get a very different yeah. result. But yeah. somehow, you know, we have been conditioned by food brands to think, um, no, food ingredients don't matter. It doesn't matter if it's organic or if it's not organic. It's all the same. Calories in, calories Right. Out. Calories are calories. Yeah. It's like this very reductionistic concept. And, you know, we're starting to realize that, you know, really it is such a poor standard of comparison, you know, just looking at the energy, like the calories, it it really doesn't give you any indication of like nutritional integrity. And that is such a different conversation. Um, Kiss the ground is one of those things that, I mean, for those of you who are listening, I'm assuming you've probably seen it. Um, Because if you're, if you're listening to Regenerative by Design podcast, chances are you've probably come across Kiss the Ground. But if you haven't, you definitely write it down and watch it this weekend. It's on Netflix um, or, you know, like it's out there. You can find it on non-subscription type television access media. And we've had John Rulak on the show before and he was the producer. And it was fun hearing about like his process of how he came to that and why he had such a profound need to produce a film that would allow this movement to be distilled into like a, like a something that someone could sit down and enter a world that would change the way they look at the world forever. And um, we've had Ray Archuleta on the show. We've had a number of the people from the show, um, which is fantastic because it is kind of like the center of the regenerative universe, <laughs> so to speak, in the United States, even though, like you said, it's not its not that it's a brand new concept. We're rediscovering it in the Western world. And, and it's very important that we re- rediscover it very, very quickly. So I, you know, I love that you have spent some time working with the Kiss the Ground crew. Um, what, what were you doing when you were working with Kiss the Ground? So I was working on their development team. Um, so a lot of related stuff, particularly centered around nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. my, my goal was to create, um, you know, a group of health practitioners in support of, um, in support of regenerative agriculture, although we didn't quite make it to that, but I think it's still on their, um, on their list of to do's. It's just, um, they have grown exponentially and they're kind of, you know, to narrow in on their focus. So, so I was working in development and in bringing funding to the cause of regenerative agriculture. Very cool. Yeah, it needs, it needs more funding, desperately needs more funding um, on, on many levels, like from marketing to, you know, products like that are actually using regenerative ingredients and trying to help demonstrate regenerative in a consumer tangible way. Um, so that's a constant, a constant thing. And and then I understand that there are more movies coming too. Is that right? Yeah, there is a sequel to the film coming. Um, there's also mm-hmm. a great animated film that's coming out um, 
called The Possibilities of Regeneration. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen little pieces of it. And it is absolutely stunning and and very moving. Um, Cool. And yeah, and just to get back to your uh, comment about more funding needed, um, the exciting thing is that I don't know if you've been following COP27, but they, they, regenerative agriculture is very much on the... Mm -hmm on the agenda and one of the things that was discussed was that um so we need to be raising 10 times the amount of funding to yeah to meet our climate needs by 2030 so mm-hmm. that's i mean scary and exciting. it's a call to action yes yeah but it's a very clear call to action to those who are in the financial sector because it you know it is it is early. And so I think there are investors that like perceive it as being like, oh, it's too nascent. I don't want to be the first wave because it's riskier. But what what a lot of investors don't realize is like, this has to work. <laughs> like it's not, it's not like, oh, the first wave of a new widget that like fidget spinners here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, this is like a, a this is a permanent transition of our entire system. And so early movers although it may be challenging the first few years, there is going to be a really good ROI as this whole system transforms. So for all of you listeners out there, um, there are many brands and many, many good causes that need financial backing. So um, time to get off the sidelines and get into the game and really help make you know this reality. Because it is, there's like, like they've been discussing at COP, I mean, time is not on our side. Like we don't have time to wait around and kind of watch for a few years and decide whether or not this is a go. We are kind of in a race against time to transition these things immediately as we watch global soils er erode and disappear and desertification, climate refugees. I mean, there's so many things. So um, I'm I'm glad that they're pushing on that urgency because it is an urgent thing. Yeah. And, you know, on the inside, at Kiss the Ground, I can say that there really is no shortage of people who are impact investors who really want to invest in this. So mm-hmm. that's very heartening, very encouraging. Um, people get it. The people that really, that really need to get it, um, are getting it. So mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very encouraging on the back end. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, So like when you're looking at this regenerative movement and, you know, there are so many rabbit holes we could go down to, uh, you know, go down, you know, from a climate perspective, from all these different perspectives. But when it comes to human health and the overall impacts that we could make on human health, let's just say in America or even in California specifically to kind of narrow it in, um, what do you think like you know, if we really did a mass transition, what do you think we'd see from a public health perspective as we transform our food system to regenerative model? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we'd see a lot of, a lot of waste curbed first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about, oh, can regenerative agriculture feed the world? And, um, you know, we currently produce a lot of food a lot of it yeah. is nutrient dense and a lot of it gets thrown away. So yeah. if we were able to actually do that in a more efficient way, um, do it more locally and regionally and create, mm-hmm. for example, a pipeline from farm to school or farm to hospitals, uh, farm to institutions of all kinds, um, mm-hmm. that would create a demand for farmers who are looking for 
consumers to buy their product Mm -hmm. and it would keep, you know, we wouldn't have to use diesel fuel to, you know, to ship 1500 miles (laughs) into your plate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and we, you know, we would be eating nutrient dense food that didn't actually have a lot or any chemicals in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, a one, two punch. Not only are you getting healthier food that has much more nutrients ounce for ounce, but you would also be getting, you know, you wouldn't be ingesting chemicals that you didn't need to be getting. And in addition yeah. to that, you know, California is going through a drought. So as we know, we really need to conserve water and regenerative agriculture is really great at that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. if, you have, mm-hmm. if you have water in the soil, then you're much more likely to have small water cycles come back. That means that more rainfall, right? So it goes yeah. from the ground to the sky and, and falls as rain. So um, so just a lot of, um, a lot of different um, benefits to bringing regenerative yeah. agriculture. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that the reduction in, in inputs is something that is really important to talk about when it comes to public health, because, you know, exposure to agriculturally related chemicals is a significant health emergency, like globally. But even in our own nation, I mean, you look at correlations of, you know, and I've had these discussions with farmers on the show before, you know, we'll see belts of Parkinson's disease. We'll see belts of cancer. We, it, it seems obvious that there are correlations to exposures to things in the environment. And when you see heavy um, industrial agriculture, it's natural to want to make those correlations, although they're not always present. And I've often wondered if that was by, by design that, you know, there's reasons why they're, they're kind of hampering that data from getting out because they don't want to change the agricultural system. And if they have the data proving that these health issues are caused by the ag, well, then you have a problem and you have to change the ag and they don't want to change it. But, you know, long story short, what I love about regenerative is literally demonstrated in a quote from Brent Ulern, who's a farmer in, in, in my region. He's in Idaho and he and his family farm have been transitioning to regenerative over the last few years. And he just announced that he's actually now they came to it like from a conventional, conventional mindset. They never wanted to go organic. They didn't, that was not the lens that they were looking at the farming system through. Well, now they're actually transitioning a portion of their farm to certified organic, not because that's where they intended to get to. It literally happened because of a soil health focus and a regenerative focus. And they're like, well, now it qualifies for organic because we have not used any synthetic inputs on this for years. And that is a very powerful transformation when you look at a farm that was using very heavy chemical use before and that through this regenerative process, they naturally eliminated it without them like trying to make that happen. That was not their goal. And I think that when we apply that kind of an example to other areas and you look at how much of California is covered in ag and how close that is to population centers, how urgent it is for us to be, you know, using those techniques to reduce that burden of agricultural um, sprays and and additives that end up in our water, end up in everything, like end up in, you know, not even just in the food. Um, We often think about, oh, I don't want spray on my food, but often it's like the spray that's just drifting through the air or that's in the water table. So in the water that you drink or the breast milk that your baby gets. 
Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Parkinson's because that was, you know, one of the statistics that really jumped out at me that mm-hmm. amounts of Parkinson's have doubled, literally doubled in the last 20 years and are expected to double again by 2040. So yeah. why? Right. I mean, what, what is one of the big changes that we've had over the last 20 years, over the last 40 mm-hmm. years, even that is, you know, causing us to be allergic to wheat, causing us, you know, just our mm-hmm. to go haywire. And, um, yeah, I, I love that story about Brent because um, I'm hoping it's the micro of the macro. <laughs> I'm hoping yeah. that, you know, I think that they did what they had to do um, because of the circumstances that they were facing. And, you know, and we know that we're facing a worldwide shortage of fuel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so much of our food system currently depends on it. So yeah. if we can, you know, um, if we can incentivize farmers, if we can support them and, and, and give them the, the, the education and the network that they need, mm-hmm. the structure that they need, then uh, they can all do this. Like, right. With time, with time. It's an amazing demonstration that it can be done and, and it can be done at scale. Like they're still profitable. They, they've not had issues with it affecting yield. Like they're still running a great successful farming system. But now they're doing it without dependency on external inputs. Fantastic model that can be scaled. And um, I love those demonstrations that we're like, oh, you know, this wasn't even what we set out to do. And look what, what happened. Like, that's such a cool, that's to me, that is just such a cool um, example of what can happen. And, and, you know, honestly, when you do look at the epidemiology from a public health perspective, um, the there is pretty clear persuasive data in my mind that that indicates that it needs to be an initiative to like go hey we need to stop um using excessive chemicals in our ag systems because of these numbers these statistics that we're seeing and to me like as a nurse i mean i'm a patient advocate that's what nurses do um it seems really really clear but it gets murky (laughs) so uh, the more that we can you know shift that picture i just feel like you know our the the repercussions on future generations like we don't even know we haven't had enough generations from the time of chemical intensive agriculture to understand the long-term population effects so reversing that is a, needs to happen ASAP. <laughs> I'm with you, Joni. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a like, nurse. it's a crazy thought. Yeah. Even though I'm not a nurse, I, I definitely got into this because I really believe that people can empower themselves, um, you know, and, and they know themselves better than their own doctor most of the time. Um, so I think, you know, we're very quick now to pop a pill, to go to the doctor Mm-hmm. Even, you know, us medical professionals have kind of been conditioned to think that that's, you know, that's the right way to go. But, mm-hmm. you know, something happened kind of, you know, at a pretty formative year for me um, with my dad, who um, had some kind of a joint condition that he was dealing with. And, and he was a very active guy at the time, you know, he was in his 50s, very active. Um, always getting around, riding his bike, walking. And suddenly he was having some joint pain in his knee and mm-hmm. you know, it really hampered his lifestyle. He wasn't very 
be able Mm -hmm. to walk from one end of the room to the other. And he went to see a doctor, a surgeon at the time. Um, And sometimes, you know, some of the details get lost when my dad (laughs) tells his stories, but he went to see a doctor, the doctor (laughs) recommended surgery and that it would leave him walking with a cane and with one leg shorter than the other. Oh, wow. That's intense. Super intense in your fifties. And mm-hmm. he's this vibrant, you know, just active guy. And so he came home angry, just like, why would I ever do such a thing? You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have one leg shorter than the other now, and I don't walk with a cane. So why would I go in and do that to myself? And um, and then he he went ahead and did a little searching at the time. I think he went to the library and looked up microfish <laughs> um, to, to look at studies about, about joint health. And he came across yeah. a study by Harvard University about chicken collagen. Mm-hmm. And so he went out and bought chicken feet. And my mom cooked chicken feet for him on mm-hmm. a weekly basis, a big pot of chicken feet. He would eat the gelatin, you know, the yeah. gelatin broth. And he healed himself with that broth. Wow. Yeah. And that that's really, amazing. That yeah. really was a game changer for me. Right. So mm-hmm. we are the master of our own health. Of course, we need a doctor's advice from time to time. But really, mm-hmm. what we need to believe is that we can we can heal ourselves. It's all within us. Mm-hmm. And have that proactive mindset of like, I, you know, I'm not happy with this you know, scenario, like, what can I do to invest in my own health? And, you know, just often, I feel like there's a real disconnect there and a disconnect that food can be transformative. Like, I think there's often this kind of eye roll with a lot of people where they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like food. Mm -hmm." But then you meet people that have had debilitating illnesses and modified their diet, and it transformed their lives. Like, it literally changed from a, you know, a life that wasn't very optimized to, you know, being able to do new things, extend their life, like have the quality of life and um, the productivity that they wanted. And we don't talk about that enough. Like, I don't think we give that enough valor and value. And I don't think it's about the next latest, greatest superfood or like some imported. I mean, I love fun, imported, cool things that are healthy. Like I kind of have a guilty pleasure there, but a lot of times it's foundational foods, like very basic foods that humans have eaten for millennia. Like, you know, chicken feet are a very important part of like cultural foods in other countries. In the United States, they, unless you are part of an ethnic population that uses that in like, you know, some type of a a dish, it's often something that people just are like, Ooh, yuck, why would I eat that? But when you think about like a, you know, like you're eating, if you, if you already eat meat, if you're, if you're vegan or vegetarian, obviously it's a different conversation, but you know, like it's like this way of looking at foundational foods and basic foods through like a different attitude of like, Oh, these can be very nourishing and enriching. These can be medicinal. And, um, I think that alone is really, really transformative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think that, um, you know, everybody has their path and, you know, when I share stories like this, part of, part of me wants, you know, wants to kind of 
have a disclaimer with it because yeah. some people are like, well, I had, you know, the same condition and it didn't help me. So I'm not saying that it's something that works for everybody, but I'm saying that we don't give it enough of a shot, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, you know, if, if you're, if you're like fixing a house because the foundation is bad, it doesn't matter how many times you fix the exterior and the stucco, it'll still keep cracking because the foundation is broken. And and that's the thing. We are in the habit in, in the United States of applying Band-Aids rather than getting to the root of the, of the problem. And food is often a huge part of that problem. So, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm in the business of trying to shift our food system. Like, I must be some sort of weird masochist of sorts because it is not easy, especially, like, focused on, like, really foundational foods. Like, Chicken feet, perfect example. Like I, I focus on grains. Like how do we shift and reclaim our grain sector from like the kind of kind of sick level that they've gotten to today in like our mainstream food system, where grain based foods really are, you know, a huge source of issue when it comes to diet related disease because they're, you know, they're not what they used to be. And I personally believe we need to go back to ancient grains, um, and we need to reclaim that culinary heritage from corporate, you know corporate entities. And and that's a big part of regeneration. That's a big part of regenerative, you know, theory. And and often I think people don't know where to start. Like word for you talking to people, you know, whether it be in the public, whether it be through kiss the ground, whether it be like even on a, on a pod show, like a podcast like this, like where do you think people should start to shift that focus of the food system from quality, from quantity back to quality? Well, I think, that there is huge power in numbers. Um, and luckily, there are you know, coalitions now, grassroots coalition-based organizations, um, including Regenerate America, is the ground. So one of the places that people can start is to go to the website, regenerateamerica.com, and just join, kind of keep up with what the developments are in terms of policy. Mm-hmm. Um, lend their help if they have it few hours a week of whatever it is that you do best. Maybe you're good <laughs> at marketing, PR, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, on a more local level, getting to know your farmer's market purveyors, your farmers, and supporting them because what they do is not easy and you'll be eating much better than probably shopping at the grocery store. Um, mm-hmm. And even though it's a little bit more expensive, I consider it, you know, health insurance when you buy that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if, if it's an option, growing your own food or going to a community garden and participating there, really kind of understanding what it's like, or, you know, when you plant a seed and see it come out of the ground and how, you know, the frost might affect it or how the sun might affect it. And just really connecting to kind of, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears that go into growing mm-hmm. food. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a miracle <laughs> when you watch yeah. it unfold in front of you. You're like, wow, you go to the store and I'm like, I've, I mean, I've gardened for my entire life and I still like go to the store sometimes. I'm like, how do they get so many beautiful heads of broccoli? Like my broccoli can be really nice, but I'm like, I like, clearly I've got a long ways to go. It's, it's nothing short of a miracle to be able to pull that off at scale. I mean, it is really amazing. And, 
Um, I think that there is definitely something magical and people connecting with that um, at a personal level and kids love it. Um, I mean, kids, it's interesting watching kids like plant a seed and it comes up and that is a pretty empowering thing to witness. Definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a great time to start, you know, as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. So Vivian, what's next for you? What are you doing? What's your next move? You know, what are you I'm, gonna marinating. Do? <laughs> I'm marinating, on my move, but I think that um, I'm really kind of intrigued by impact investing. So that mm-hmm. the route that I take, um, mm-hmm. that sector really needs the help. It does. Since I have a background in development. I would love to kind of more nutritional uh, kind of lens into um, the impact investing field. So. Mm-hmm. That and continuing yeah. to communicate and raise awareness around regenerative agriculture, particularly in the uh, health practitioner circles. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Next month, for mm-hmm. health health professionals um, regenerative agriculture. They're a European. Oh, great organization. Wonderful. We need more of that. (laughs) I I think it's just something that, you know, having worked in like our U.S. medical systems for a long time, like it's something that I think a a vast majority of people could really get behind if they understood it. Because it's not it's not trying to sell some extreme diet that has like crazy restrictions or crazy excesses. It's literally just quality over quantity. Like it's something that every medical person could and should really get behind. And um, it was it was really interesting talking to Ray Archuleta a couple weeks ago on the show here. And he was talking about some of his current projects being really focused on t- um, telling the story of regeneration and regenerative agriculture through faith-based communities. And I think, again, great access point to reach people in a really important um, communication opportunity. And I think the healthcare segment also needs that really targeted focus narrative because once they start talking about it once they start realizing and seeing the value of how it can transform our relationship with food i think that it's something that could have massive support from um our even our western medical establishment i agree like the people that are in it yeah Yeah. so i'm glad that you're thinking about like that angle as well and that there are people working on that i've been kind of hoping to see that pop up so I can help, help with that too. I, you yeah. know, whatever we can do. You're, you're definitely seeing a lot more, you know, of course you have your Mark Hyman's and Andrew Wiles, mm-hmm. and the doctors that are kind of already in the integrative space, but Zach Bush seeing, and yeah. Yes. And you're just, you're just seeing that ramp up. I can definitely um, see a lot more mainstream doctors coming to this subject and, and realizing, um, yeah, gut health really matters yes and, and it's you know it is a reflection of all of our health as ayurveda says right all health begins and ends mm-hmm. in the gut and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. i think a lot of a lot more doctors are coming to that conclusion yeah luckily thank goodness so we the more the merrier <laughs> so yeah. i'm gonna need to do like I, one of my goals is to have more healthcare leaning people um, join us on the show going through the winter and really try to, you know, tap into that. Um, 
it's it's kind of it is a little bit shocking that it can be kind of harder than you think to find those people, especially from the mainstream. And I know that I, I know there's a huge opportunity there. So I'm going to really put that out into the universe for those who are listening. If you know any passionate medical people that are in the like more conventional medical world, but starting to lean into regenerative, I'd like to talk to them. Um, those are people that I'd really like to kind of harness and and get them talking and sharing in their circles. Cause I think that's a really important segment. So, you know, as far as, you know, we've talked about how people can get involved at the consumer level, which is great. And, you know, at, like in our final moments, I, I always like to like kind of bring it down to this whole like regenerative design process. Like how do we start every day, you know, building a, a world that really is regenerative by design. Like we lay down some foundational things that actually like become like flywheels for regeneration because a lot of that regenerative energy is that it's self-perpetuating and you know you look through the systems of what we need to do and you're actively working in that which is fantastic so like you know really what are the things that you're seeing and what's giving you hope for the future right now well organizations like the one i mentioned with health professionals is giving me a Mm -hmm. lot of hope regeneration in and of itself is giving me so much hope because you know, I see an awareness really growing around it. Uh, like I said, it was mm-hmm. mentioned in COP27. Um, and, you know, the, just the, the calls are just getting more and more frequent and louder and louder about regeneration. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very biblical. You talk about foundational foods. It's a biblical way of looking at ourselves as a part of nature. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I've, I've been vegan I've been, you know, uh, I've cut out fish, I've cut out, you know, I've tried so many different diets, but nothing fully clicked for me until, Mm -hmm. until regeneration, because it's just, it it just makes good sense. (laughs) If we continue, continue to be able to make uh, food for generations to come and have that land and be stewards of the land, then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, regeneration is, is our one and only option. And, and mm-hmm. I feel that nature is telling us that and that people mm-hmm. are starting to listen. When I was at mm-hmm. Brown, we would have people, you know, writing to us from Africa, people writing to us from Asia, all over, you know, just mm-hmm. wanting to know how they can get involved. So the movement is so cool, bigger and it's growing. And um, I just have a lot of hope where that's concerned. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's fantastic. So if our listeners want to reach out to you to learn more or, you know, see if they can, you know, talk to you or learn more about your work, where can they find you? Where's the best place to, to learn more about, about Vivian? So I'm pretty analog when it comes to these things, but I am on Instagram, um, at Mm -hmm. nutrition with a mission underscores between each word. And if you want to drop me a line, reach me mm-hmm. cool anybody. <laughs> fantastic well thank you so much for joining us i appreciate you taking the time and sharing your journey with our listeners and um yeah i, I feel like this is just the beginning of really trying to steer this focus hard on food is medicine and how regenerative ag can be transformative to not only just nutrition, but like to overall health and in the health of, you know, public health in general. So this has been great. Thank you so much. 
you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.